Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. I'm Sarah Slate. Hey, I'm Kareem Jamal. I'm Jared Faulkner. Hi, I'm Devin Gonzalez. Today, we're discussing some of the many benefits of user testing, but we're also going to talk about how to go about designing and building user-centric software when you don't have access to end users or their feedback. Let's get started. So before we get into talking about how to go about designing when you don't have access to end users or feedback from those users, uh, let's spend a little bit of time talking about why that usually is so important. I think the first and foremost reason for me is uh, we are consulting on different domains where uh, specialized knowledge is needed. um, And usually we're we're not our users. I mean, you hear that a lot. Uh, I guess especially true for people in technology and and uh, UX designers, because we have a lot of knowledge about how things get used, but we we don't necessarily see things the way our users see them, um, because we have all that experience. So for one thing, um, you need their perspective in order to know if your designs are being interpreted the right way. And additionally, it's important to bring a, an outside-in approach to things. I mean, you do have various domain experts within an organization internally, but they can also fall into the same trap of believing that they are the user and they're not. The, the user often sees things differently than we see them. Uh, so that's, that's one valuable thing you need to bring in is, is that user perspective in order to advocate for their needs. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I feel like the role of a user experience designer is to advocate for the user and to help the user meet their needs which sometimes aren't the needs you expect or aren't the needs that the company that's making the software first thinks of. So yeah, I, I, maybe talk some about that. Like what, what does it look like to go about um, when you do have access to users and like, why is that so important to advocate for the user? Well, I think um, for one, you have um, people working on products who uh, thinking about the, the user experience might not be their, uh, their skill set or their expertise. Uh, so oftentimes, some of the nuance can get missed. I mean, concrete examples are like, uh, you know, just bombarding the user with every type of information they could see when really they need to see certain pieces of information at certain times within their, their journey. They need to see things that are relevant to them in order to make good decisions or, or get through a task or flow. And Somebody who uh, is making assumptions about that could miss things or entirely um, just overwhelm the user with uh, information. And I think, um, you know, additionally, you get into the the details and completing a task. And oftentimes, somebody will have to go back to get information that they looked at before. And um, it creates a lot of cognitive load when that's not present. So UX designer in, in identifying those key bits of information that people need to have to keep going and not bounce around the UI or the interface is uh, is kind of critical at times. And I, I think in order to understand that, you have to talk to people. Like laddering on that, I think it's it's important to have that that direct line with the users so that you're not getting your information through like the interpretation of other business partners or other people. Like so much can get altered in the game of telephone of feeding interpretations from one person to the next that 
I have found before in my experience, like, you know, something that was told to me, maybe from the product or business side was very different when actually, you know, speaking directly to, to the actual user of the product. And there hasn't been, I think, a user test that I've participated in so far that even with all the assumptions that I had going in and, and, you know, expert knowledge of people that I talk to, like, there's always something surprising that comes up that I would not have uncovered um, had I not actually spoke to a real end user. There's really nothing uh, like unfiltered user feedback, right? Because whether we realize it or not, our biases are taking a part in sort of how we're intaking that information we see. And then when we pass it on, yeah, in the game of telephone, it is sort of biased based on our biases as it moves down the chain. Uh, You know, if a user's eyes bug out at the first impression of seeing sort of what you've put forth, right? Uh, maybe in excitement or maybe in disgust, you know, that might get lost if you're not there and observing, uh, right? And that's that's important. And maybe their eyes didn't bug out. Maybe they just said, hmm, as their first impression, right? That could be important too. Uh, and so there's all these little things, whether it's words that they say or just their reactions that might not get captured if you have proxies that are relaying that information to you. Yeah, facial expressions can tell you so much when you're actually being able to watch them either over Zoom or in the room. I mean, another thing people will do a lot is they'll rely on maybe uh, metrics or uh, voice of customer surveys to inform them after they've built the product. There's issues with that where you are um, introducing a lot of risk if you go and build something based solely off of assumptions without talking to users, and then you find out that uh, you built the wrong thing. The other thing is you may, um, a lot of things you get from usability metrics are, you get what's happening, where there might be a problem, but you, it's rare that you understand why. So it, it's important to get that uh, qualitative feedback as well directly from the users. Yeah, so obviously, at least here at Expiro, the ideal situation is access to end users, uh, a good amount of time in user testing, validating, our design work, getting feedback. Uh, But sometimes that's not an option uh, for various reasons. So I'm curious, what are some of the times or reasons you've run into not being able to talk to end users at all, but still having to deliver a design? I think Jared could speak to that very well. He's dealing with it right now. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, how it's been for the past few projects, Um, you know, doing things for the army or the government in general. They'll show us a a subject matter expert who is supposed to be the voice of the user. Uh, We rely heavily on on those people and we treat them just like they would be the user. And they'll they'll take whatever we design, come back with feedback from, uh, you know, whoever it is in government. And um, hopefully they've interpreted that correctly. But, you know, sometimes there's there's issues like on colors or icons or little little things like that. But, you know, really the only way we can get by is, is to just lean on them as that subject matter expert and essentially that one person becomes like the whole of you know we'll, we'll take their their point of view as, as if it was 20 people saying that this is what they want um you know doing projects over and over where where we're in that kind of situation we establish patterns and, and things like that that we come to expect or they come to expect and uh 
it's always one of those weird situations where you're you're kind of designing in a black hole of what you think is best which is you know we're, we're taught to not do that we're taught to to lean on users but we kind of just make it up as we go as far as like uh, imagining how that user is responding and trying to look at things with a fresh set of eyes if if you can do that you know a, a lot of times it, it means leaving a project uh, which has happened for a couple times where we we leave the project for a couple of weeks and then we come back to it and we're like oh well we learned a lot in this time off come back to it and and there's a like a new sort of perspective on things so i mean it's not ideal but when you have to do it that's you know kind of establishing that that user that uh that single voice if we can is it's is how we do it but um it's not easy i would say yeah it's definitely not ideal mm -hmm. i know another situation i've run into at least is often just that when working with clients who don't at least initially want to talk to end users sometimes it's just a case of making it clear to them hey like here's what we have to gain by talking to your users and sometimes it's just like almost an education moment saying hey i know that you may think all these things are great ideas and they probably are but we would learn a lot just by spending a little bit of time with a few users I don't remember the metric off the top of my head, but it's something like if you show something to like eight people, you you'll hit over 75% of the usability issues. Um, and that's not to mention just like the use case issues that you may have where someone may say, oh, I don't need that. I need this thing that's not represented. So I feel like that's another, you know, often reason is maybe just the client doesn't know the value in it or doesn't think it's valuable. And just taking that little bit of time to say, hey, here are the reasons why this is worth considering and why I think we should do it. There's um, like some resistance maybe due to the cost of doing research. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can show people tactics or strategies for doing it, kind of like cost savings methods, <laughs> uh, right. ways to do it quickly without uh, investing too much time or money and still get the value, there's some tactics for that. I think also some people have maybe gotten research and felt like it didn't address the question the way they expected or things were maybe left too open to interpretation and um, you know, maybe it didn't lead to something actionable like they expected. So I think that clarifying, you know, setting up your goals properly to understand what value you expect to get and being strategic and getting that value without spending too much time to get those insights. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like there's, there's not just one type of user testing or talking to users or user validation, however you want to put it. Like there's different tiers of levels of engagement and cost that comes with that. And I think kind of during those initial conversations, when you're kind of explaining the benefit, that's where you can also say, and they're depending on how much budget we have or how much time we have, you know, maybe you're on a super tight deadline here are kind of the, the faster options we have that probably won't have the, as good results as if we spent a lot more time on it, but it's better than doing nothing. I think that's the biggest thing, like just communicating like, Hey, something is better than nothing. Because uh, otherwise we're going completely blind versus having at least a little bit of an idea of uh, how this will be recepted. Yeah, it's good to have context of why you can't talk to the users directly, right? Sometimes it's because it's out of our hands due to security reasons or something, right? That it's not going to be possible. Uh, other times it might be because uh, the client or the owner doesn't see the benefits of user research. Uh, and maybe we need to sell them on it and tell them about all the benefits it'll bring early on that'll have cost savings later on in the project. And sometimes it might just be that the owner says, 
oh, you don't need to talk to users because I know best, right? And that throws up some flags and you can sort of brace yourself for an interesting ride uh, type thing, right? <laughs> uh, and so it'll, it'll help you get the context early on and so you know how to adapt your strategy on how to proceed with this project, uh, knowing what you're dealing with. Uh, you know, the, for the case where sometimes clients just don't know the benefits of user research, uh, Johnny and I were on a project some time ago where the client was a non-believer, non-believer, non-believer. But as we got close to the first release, all of a sudden he saw the results because he had agreed on it. And we did a little bit of user research and he was like, wow, this is valuable. To the point where he actually recorded himself saying this and said, I was wrong. You guys were right. Uh, user <laughs> research is awesome and very beneficial. And that was sort of the highlight. Uh, and we had made him a believer, which was a great feat. That was a great story too. I don't know if anybody mentioned accessing users is, can be kind of hard depending on what you're working on. But, you know, it's, it's uh, easy to get access to users when you're building something like uh, a television streaming app, which I'd worked on before. I could test that sort of thing with family and friends, anybody really. Um, but when you're working on things like trying to help uh, an application, enterprise application that tries to help CEOs make strategic decisions about their, their portfolio road mapping. It's like, and you're trying to get access to, to CEOs, uh, that's more difficult for sure. And, and that brings up, uh, you know, how much user research do you need to do, right? If you're in an expert domain, uh, you know, there are people you can talk to that will sort of encompass what the, the user experience should be. Whereas like, you know, a television streaming app, that's a much more diverse uh, space you're working with, right? So you may have to interview lots more users to get the full gamut of uh, what the, the users want. Yeah, in my experience, it's obviously been a lot easier in consumer product design than, than enterprise side design. I have um, had decent luck if you have time and budget, but for some reason, maybe the particular business partners you're working with just don't have a direct line to the end users, you know, by sanitizing your research materials enough that that's, you're not violating an NDA and using a professional recruiter to find vetted expert users in the same domain, but maybe not working on that exact product can give you a pretty good um, pool of users to test with. I've done that before with some success, but that's, you know, you kind of have to pull in some big guns on, on recruiting and vetting efforts so that you're, you're getting qualified users there. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Like sometimes like just on the, the note of not having access to the people you need to talk to. Yeah. What's the closest you can get to someone in that kind of a role? And maybe, yeah, maybe the project you're working on is very specific to a, like a specific group of people, but how can you kind of take uh, elements of that and get the most kind of widely applicable elements of that that you need to test in front of people that maybe don't need to be in that specific area. There are times when you don't need an exact specific user and it's more something you can test with general people just to get feedback. I'm curious, what are some of the other options or approaches y'all have taken when you, you can't talk to end users? Part of it's just altering your line of questioning where uh, the, the questions you ask sort of have to be posed in a way that makes the proxy sort of realize that their opinion is not being asked. It's more of them emulating the person, like the actual user, right? 
Uh, and so just adapting your line of questioning to make that a little more obvious and, and forefront. Yeah, so if you're, you know, interviewing your SMEs on the project, you know, asking them follow-ups of like, okay, so what is the actual end user doing in this moment? What other tasks might they be trying to multitask with? What, what's their headspace like? Um, things like that to try to better empathize with the end user, even though we are using a proxy, but asking questions that get your business partners to kind of put themselves in the user's shoes for a moment and consider what else they might have going on or what other tasks or interruptions or distractions maybe hitting them in that moment can help just add some some richness to the response and get them to do a little empathizing on their part. You know, a lot of the users we're looking at, we're, we're trying to establish like what their workflow is. You know, it's not typical, the type of uh, computers and software that they're using. So we really want to understand like, are they looking at, you know, Excel sheets, tables, um, graphs, or maps, just picking out the parts that really they use the most throughout the day and then how they communicate with those tools. So like our last project, we're looking at what an analyst in the military does and then how he communicates or he or she. And um, from, from my background, I, I had no clue on what they're doing or what kind of software. So just really understanding those, those tools that they use was really helpful. I mean, I, my perspective is that it's, it's still a, a process. And there are important steps that you still have to take through that process. There aren't a lot of shortcuts. So if you're proceeding without and you can't talk to users, the other parts of that process become even more critical because you're proceeding based off of a lot of assumptions and guesses. So you need to get your guesses out there. You know, you need to start prototyping right away and getting that in front of people internally and poking holes in it and asking those questions you know, with the understanding that there are a lot of assumptions in there and guesses. So yeah, and part of that is also just doing it as quickly as possible. Um, I mentioned before that you're really reducing your risk when you're talking to users. So if you're um, proceeding without that, you want to get to like uh, a prototype, maybe even an actual working proof of concept as early as you can to know if it's right or wrong um, without a lot of the uh, time spent or the the overhead so that if it's wrong, well, we didn't spend that much time on it yet. So, you know, it's, we can still change it. So making sure that you have um, that change management as part of that process built in. Uh, so you can go back and pivot if you need to. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like there's a whole other element of, at least in consulting, where depending on the industry that we're working in and the project I'm working on, I may not have a whole lot of familiarity with the kinds of things I'm being asked to work on. So there's a ramping up there. So yeah, oftentimes that time with users is helpful for me to understand their domain, their workflow, their processes. And when you don't have that, you need to find other ways to, to familiarize yourself with that, whether that's doing research myself, asking a lot of potentially stupid questions so that you can get answers and figure things out. But yeah, I, I like what you said, Devin, how like it's part of the process in getting a project going. So if you skip that step, you need to make up for it elsewhere. Yeah, I have another kind of fun, more tactical approach that I did on a project a while back and it was role-playing. So we didn't have direct access to end users yet, but we had some surveys we had done and we were building a prototype and I actually wrote a script for testing. 
as though I was going to do a test. And then I did the um, role of the interviewer. And then one of my other colleagues, designers, did the role of the user. And we just walked through the script and I asked questions as though she was the user and she responded as though she was. And we uncovered things, just getting into the mindset of the user that way. One example was, this was a CRM app and, and you were entering uh, sales opportunities. But when you entered the sales opportunity, um, you also needed to add the contacts. And in the system, the contacts were added elsewhere. You're, you're adding all your numbers and you get to the contacts and you get to look for them. Like, I haven't added these people yet. There's no way to add them on this screen. So right there, we're like, oh, we need them to be able to add this without leaving the context of that screen, enter those contacts in and keep going. Uh, so that was uncovered just by doing that role playing. And it's an interesting uh, way to work because the, you're asking the SME to play really two roles, right? When they're talking to you, they are acting like the actual user, right? And responding in that way. But once they are taking this wireframe or prototype to the actual user, they are sort of doing your role, right? You need to teach them to ask the right questions when they're in that room and, you know, uh, working with these users so that they can tease out the requirements that they can then bring back to you. And so it's almost like once they go to the user, they switch their hat. And now it's your job to sort of prepare them to play that role. Yeah, sometimes just saying, all right, do you want me to talk to the users or do you want to talk to them? And yeah, kind of just framing it that way. Like I'm happy to help kind of ease the burden on you <laughs> to make it easier so we can get the requirements we need and get feedback on this quickly and kind of kind of help the project get off the ground more quickly. Because yeah, that's a good point. Like the feedback is going to come in one way or the other. It's just whether it's on the front end and it's going through someone who's kind of trained to navigate those kinds of comments, or is it coming through after you've already spent time and money building it and it's coming through someone who may not be familiar with or comfortable with having those kinds of conversations and knowing how to document that and get the information sent along. And as Devin said, uh, if they're not asking the right questions to the users, then uh, when they come back to you and you ask them those questions, you're like, oh, I forgot. Okay, let me go ask that again. And so yet it slows down the process more, right? right. And so you just have to keep in mind that the process is going to be a little slower and factor that in because there are multiple hops happening as you go to them and they go to the user and they you know, come back. So it's like a graph problem, right? With multiple right. hops, you want to you wanna try to speed that up. Another tactic that I've used when I can't speak directly with users is kind of getting scrappy with it. So it's a lot easier to pull off in the consumer space in terms of like looking at, you know, where are users going to complain? Are they complaining on social media, product review pages, things like that to kind of uncover major usability problems that you may see repeated across multiple users. But in the enterprise space, I've had luck with some companies still having some kind of reviews or forums that you can still access publicly. But if you happen to have access to like the organization that you're working with, um, like their intranet pages and things like that, you can often find some, some other user dialogue and feedback on products. For example, I was one of the projects I'm worked on recently, I, I didn't have a line in with actual users, but by combing through or searching through their intranet of demo videos and recordings, 
I was able to find recordings that related to the feature or, or topic I was looking for something on where they brought up like, oh, customer ABC like has been complaining about this, blah, 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 like finding a lot of insight on like pre-recorded conversations and stuff um, that came out of demos that were shared company-wide. So there's a little bit of like, you know, trawling the forums, reading product reviews, however that comes through that can um, help you kind of, I guess, get a temperature on how users or current users are feeling about the product. So I'm curious, one question that came up when we were kind of planning out this talk was if you're not talking to users at all, can you really call it UX or is it something else? Is it not quite UX if you're not taking that time to talk to end users? And I think there are multiple ways you could answer that question, but I'm curious what y'all think. I was wondering if that's how the term product designer came about. <laughs> I, I, it's funny because we were actually interviewing with somebody who was characterizing herself as a product designer. And um, I asked her why, why she called herself a product designer, not UX designer. And, and really she wanted, she wanted to be included on strategic product discussions at the business level. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I should absolutely be including UX designers on those, on those discussions. But, <laughs> but she was kind of, you know, trying to find a, a way into those discussions by calling herself a product designer. Um, maybe a perception that she was less, less focused on um, just user advocacy or, you know, the user side of things, but more on the business side of things as well. Or is that an indication that in general, user experience design isn't seen as a product level need? When it is, I, I would argue it is, but I feel, yeah, if that's, if that's kind of like a common attitude that, oh, you're in UX, okay, you're not thinking about the product, you're just thinking about what colors you're putting in and if people like it or not, and if they're going to complain on the app store. That's probably a whole other podcast episode we could get into. <laughs> yeah, it might be. I, you know, I kind of go back to the, the process and that talking to users is a part of the process, you know, and there's maybe a perception you're gaining something by um, skipping that, like, I, you know, maybe that takes time or money. Uh, but in the long run, I think it can take just as much time or more if you don't have those insights. I've heard the, uh, the notion or the joke that 15 minutes of user testing could save you 15 weeks or more of rework because you built the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were going to make a shirt with that. We were. I don't know whatever happened to that. <laughs> maybe maybe uh, if enough people listen to this episode. Yeah. If you want to see that shirt, message us. Right. <laughs> so. According to the Nielsen Norman group, the answer to that question is no, it's not user experience Ooh. without talking to your users. Shots fired, I guess. Um, right. You know, there's, <laughs> there's something else too that makes it really important. And that's just that a lot of times when you're, if you are designing something that is kind of new, you have an idea, you have to fit it into the marketplace. Through that process, sometimes you find out that what you're designing wasn't exactly what was needed, but there was another opportunity you found going through that process that was that was better or that was needed. You know, the, one of the reasons talking to users is a part of that process is because you, you can't really discover that. It's part of the discovery. You won't discover that if you're just going based off of assumptions and you're just trying to build the thing that you originally um, outlined, you miss the opportunity to build something that that might be better or might be the right thing. Yeah, that's a great point. Obviously, there's 
you know, things you learn that you weren't expecting to learn when doing user testing, but something as dramatic as realizing you're in the wrong industry entirely or something pretty major with your project needs to shift. I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff you want to learn ahead of time. And I think honestly, through this whole conversation, you know, it's, it's been reinforcing my own opinions about why user testing is so important and hearing some other reasons that I maybe haven't heard before, but I also think it's helpful realizing that a lot of these strategies are really great for supplementing alongside traditional user testing. Like what Sarah was saying, just kind of getting scrappy with it and uh, digging into all these other sources of information can be really, really valuable and help to more fully flesh out your solution in the long run. Thanks for connecting with us today. If you have a complex software problem that needs solving, thoughts on what we discussed today, or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experowink.com or on Twitter at experowink. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time.